Warning, the following contains spoilers pertaining to the show and subject matter discussed. Also, strong language and adult content may be included. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you. Isn't this nice? Yes. It makes for a perfect escape from the hustle and bustle of the city. And I can't believe how much cooler it is here. The fountain really helps. I also love that no matter where you are in Washington Square Park, you can always see or hear music being played. It really just complements the overall symphony of the city. I can see how one could just zone out and get lost in all of this. On a hot day like this, I could just find a nice shady bench near the fountain and just listen to the buskers and the waterfall and fall asleep. It is quite relaxing. Stage Whisper. I'm your host, Hope Bird, and with me is my co-host, Andrew Cortez. Today we're going to be discussing the beautiful show, Once. So hurry and take your seats. It looks like the show is starting. Hello, everyone and welcome into today's performance of Stage Whisper. And we love you so, we wouldn't trade you for gold. Or the show we are talking about on today's episode. That would be the heartfelt and moving show, Once. This simple yet magnanimous show brought to the stage a story of unspoken love, 
brought together through the common language of the power of music. But first, let us start by constructing the setting for all of this to take place and lay the groundwork. Once is a musical based on the 2007 film of the same name by John Carney. It was premiered in a workshop at the American Repertory Theater in Cambridge, Massachusetts in April 2011, before its transfer to New York Theater Workshop, where it made its off-Broadway debut on December 6, 2011. It would be nominated and won several awards for this production. This is the perfect time to introduce our design team. The book was by Edna Walsh, music and lyrics by Glenn Hansard and Market uh, Erglova. Director was John Tiffany, movement by Stephen Hogart. Scenic and costume designs were by Bob Crowley. The lighting design was by Natasha Katz. And the sound design was by Clive Goodwin. The show would finally arrive on Broadway at the Bernard Jacobs Theater on March, 9, March 18, 2012, where it would stay for 1,168 performances and just shy of three years, closing on January 4, 2015. That year, the show would receive 11 Tony nominations and strum away with eight. It would win Best Musical, Best Book of a Musical for Edna Walsh, Best Actor in a Musical for Steve Kazee, who played the role of Guy, Best Scenic Design of a Musical for Bob Crowley, Best Lighting Design of a Musical, Natasha Katz, Best Sound Design of a Musical, Clive Goodwin, Best Direction of a Musical, John Tiffany, Best Orchestrations, Martin Lowe. So with that, let's head down to the North Strand. Thirty-something Dublin busker, identified only as Guy, sings a heartfelt ballad of unrequited love on a Dublin street, accompanying himself on guitar. He then puts his guitar in its case and turns to leave without it. But a young Czech woman, identified only as Girl, who has been listening to him sing, approaches. She asks numerous personal questions about his songs. He replies that he wrote most of them for a girlfriend who broke up with him and moved to New York City. He is giving up on his music because the memories of his defunct relationship are too painful. He now works as a vacuum cleaner repairman in his father's shop. Girl responds that she has a vacuum that does not suck and asks him to fix it. She offers to pay for the repair by playing piano for him. Over his protests, she snatches the sheet music for a new song from his jacket. Reluctantly, Guy picks up his guitar and they play the song together. Girl suggests that he could win his old girlfriend back by singing her that song. Guy brushes this off, but Girl reminds him that he now owes her a vacuum repair. So they head to his father's shop. As Guy fixes the vacuum, Girl becomes acquainted with his father, who seems to like her. 
Once the vacuum is repaired, Guy impulsively invites Girl to his bedroom, above the shop. They are clearly attracted to each other, but when he attempts to kiss her, she stops him and leaves. The next day, he apologizes, and they write, rehearse, and record songs together. Girl introduces Guy to her family, including her young daughter, Ivanka. After Guy leaves, Girl plays one of his songs on the piano, substituting her own lyrics as she thinks of him. The next morning, Girl tells Guy that she has arranged a meeting with a banker. To persuade the bank manager to approve a loan, which would enable Guy to take his music to New York, Guy plays him a song. The banker is impressed with his talent, approves the loan, and adds that he can play the guitar as well. He plays a song for them, and though he is not a very good singer, they invite him to play in the band. The following night at a nightclub, Guy tells Girl that she has convinced him that his musical career is worth pursuing. Good, she replies, because it's open mic night at the club, and she has signed him up to perform as the Hoover Man. He is reluctant, but eventually takes the stage. As he sings, it seems that he is now singing to Girl, not his ex-girlfriend. Act two begins during the band practice, as one of the musicians gets into an argument with the bank manager. He opposes capitalism. He says despite the fact that he owns the shop where they are rehearsing. Guy and Girl retreat to a hill overlooking the city, where the two share a brief, tender moment. Girl tells Guy in Czech that she loves him, but when he asks her to translate, she replies, it looks like rain. Guy realizes that he has fallen in love with Girl and wonders how long he will live with her without her when he moves to New York. The next day, the band records a demo for a major record label. After receiving praise for their performance, the band members take a break. Girl remains at the piano and thinking she is alone, plays one of her own compositions that reveals the depth of her feelings for Guy. Guy, who has been listening, compliments her on her song. He suggests that she and Ivanka move to New York with him because they clearly have feelings for each other that they cannot ignore. Girl answers angrily that she cannot feel that way. Incredulously, Guy asks Girl, why? Girl replies that her husband, Ivanka's father, is trying to reconcile with her, and for the sake of her daughter, she must consider it. The following morning, the band gathers at the hill to voice their hopes for success with the impending album. Guy asks Girl to spend his last night in Dublin with him. She demurs because it would only result in hanky-panky, which is a bad idea. But ultimately, she agrees to come to the vacuum shop. Back at the shop, Guy plays the demo for his father. Impressed and moved, he gives Guy money to help him settle in New York. Then Guy, encouraged by Girl, calls his ex-girlfriend in New York, who is happy about his imminent arrival, and seems willing to give their relationship another try. A few days later, Girl comes home to find a piano with a bright red bow on it, a gift from Guy. She sheds a few tears and then sits at the piano and sings as Guy in his New York apartment sings the same song. 
The The end. So now let us talk about the things we love them so and the things that we would trade for gold. See what I did there? That was not good, Andrew. I'm the king of dad jokes. That wasn't a dad joke. That wasn't even a joke. It wasn't a pun. Ah! (laughs) Let's talk about the show. Let's stick with what we know. Steady. Okay. I think that this was absolutely a beautiful piece of theater. An absolutely beautiful piece of theater. Um, I mean, it hit all the marks. It was a very good mashup. It drug you into the story, into the world. Yes. Um, It was very... It was a simple but human and relatable story. Mm -hmm. I actually was talking in our last... Uh, Whisper in the Wings um, with um, the producers of Everything's a Six production we were talking about like what shows or what whatever have like affected them or inspired them and um, Sean Ricciardi mentioned the band's visit and I remember saying that in the year in that season you know there were these big huge productions like Spongebob and Mean Girls and whatnot, but the band's visit, which won all the awards, was this simple, smaller-scale show. Mm-hmm. But it was so powerful. And that, to me, was also like what Once was. was It wasn't this big, flashbang, huge Broadway spectacular. It was just so powerful and so still and so... Because it was intimate. Yes. The story was intimate. And invited you to lean in and just hear what was being said and and feel what was being said. It really just, it resonated with the audience, you know. Um, There was just something about, there was something in each of the characters that we could all relate to. Yes. You know. Um, I I could go on and on about the feelings and the auras and everything, but let's, let's, I mean, is there anything else you want to touch on overall, or should we just maybe... Let's dive into it. Go into the boxes. Because, I mean, there's so many... There's so many beautiful things about the show that I think it's just worth it to dive, dive so in and let's start breaking it down. Let's start with the set. It was, I remember, okay, so everyone out there, hello, welcome to the Grand Tour of Broadway. We're walking into the Bernard Jacobs Theater. The set was gorgeous and dark and simple. I remember it being dark. Remember that, like, dark wood? Mm-hmm. And it's a giant bar. Mm-hmm. And it's got this giant mirror on the back, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it's a functional bar too. Before and after the or before the show and at intermission, you could go up there and get a drink. Yeah, I mean, I just remember it feeling like any pub um, that you've ever seen in a movie that's in Ireland. Yeah, it, it was just this beautiful old classic. It was dingy and dirty and... But, like, it was, like, an old world feel to it. Yes. 
it it wasn't trying to be anything that it wasn't. Like it was one of the first Broadway sets I saw that I was like, okay, like it. I don't know. It didn't look polished by any means. It was just like wow. Again, naive me. This was one of the first full sets that I saw that I was like, wow, we didn't really try for any, like... Innovative. You were worried that it wasn't... There was nothing innovative. It almost looked like nobody tried because it was just like an old bar. But actually, wiser me looks back and goes, wow, that's actually hard because it's a commonplace thing. So rather than creating something that no one's ever seen, they're recreating something that we've all seen before. But you have to make a believable... And, and and when it's something we're all familiar with, the bar is that much higher. Because mm-hmm. you Get have it to make it believable. <sighs> See, I made a joke. But yeah, so you know, we, we, we had to um, we had to buy that this was an Irish pub. So all the details the floorboards had to look a certain way. You had to see even like the little hooks for purses at the bar. You had to see the footrests. You had to see the bottles in the back, the mirrors, the different little lamps, like every little detail, the band posters, you know, even the choking poster they had on one side about what to do if somebody was choked, like all these little details so that you could see that you were in a bar. But what I really loved is it took it a step further than that, and it reminded us we were on the stage because you could see the brick of the theater in the back, in the background. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I loved that 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 was what we walked into, and again, it was dark, which most theaters we've gone to, either the curtains down or the set doesn't tend to be that dim. And even the theater itself was dimmer lit. Like the house lights were not up at full. Yeah, it felt so, like walking into a bar in the middle of the day. And they like had music was, playing, remember? Yeah, they had music. They, they, they were out there singing music to us, and I was like, oh, okay. Um, and I love the fact that the set would transform to create all the different spaces. It was a minimal transformation, but like all the different spaces. So when he's like singing at the end of Act One... He's just standing on the bar. That's the stage, mm-hmm. you know. Um, when they're in the bank, there's just a couple of tables. Yeah. The, well, it's the desk of the banker, and then yeah, it's just a couple of tables, and it's like that. That's it. But the everything else remained, you know. Well, I love that um, the actors occupied the space of the stage almost the entire time. The, even yeah. If they weren't in the scene. They would sit in the back, to to exist to observe as well, which we'll get into. Um, do you mind if we move on to costume? I never mind when we move on to costumes. I, they were simple, they were common, and they were beautiful. They complemented the set, in my opinion, which would make sense since it was done by the same person. Um, well, they were very realistic. Yes. In a very, like, comforting way. Yes. Like, I just remember, um, you know, girl's costume, I really wanted to wear because it, it looked cozy, but it fit, it fit her personality perfectly. Um. Well, they didn't, they looked like they were from humble standing, but they all looked, I, it, it matched their personalities. Yes, because you had like the shop owner, the one who owned the music shop. Billy. Billy, yeah, who he had the... Um, like Hawaiian shirt or the flamboyant shirt kind of thing? Yeah, exactly. And he, I was he, if I remember right, he was the one like kind of chaotic character. Yes. And then, of course, you had oh, one of my favorite. I think it was Sven, who was in the tracksuit. Oh, uh-huh. Her brother. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. cousin. Uh, and you know, oh, I muffle it. How will you muffle it? With pants. <laughs> and he just rips off the tracksuit bottoms, and he uses it to muffle it. And I'm just like. Yeah, I actually could see all of these people in in real life, you know. And then, of course, you know, the, uh, one of the big costume pieces that I think we would be remiss anyone who's seen the show is, of course, the good suit, the nice suit. Mm. It's a good suit. Um, they are like they champion this suit that the other cousin, I think it is, or I think it's a brother. I have to go back and read the script, um, but he wears to become the manager of the burger place. Mm-hmm. And of course he doesn't get the job, unfortunately, but they loan it to Guy when he goes to the bank. Mm-hmm. Well, and just this idea that a suit can hold a certain level of power oh, and yeah. superstition um, that can be passed. I think it, it's such a beautiful part of culture um, and it's because it's in a lot of different cultures. Yeah. Like, you know, but it's not something we see as commonly here in America. Um, I mean, we see it with like a lucky hat. Right. But like, you know, this idea that there's this suit that we're going to let different members of the family wear to hold on to that power. I think that's just beautiful. Well, the other thing I want to mention that I love that you said was, you know, this suit, the idea of a suit that you pass on in your family and that. So the suit originally is with the Czech family. Mm-hmm. And they pass it on to Guy. Mm-hmm. It's the first gift, if you will, from the family. Not from girl, but from the family. To Guy, like a welcome to the family almost gift. And it helps him get his loan. And I love that the gift he returns is, I mean, yes, it's a piano for a girl, but it, it's it's something that fills the music, the house with music. Yes, especially because the whole family... Plays some sort of music. Exactly. It's such a part of who they are as people. Um, I think the other thing to note with this show, with the costumes, is the textures of the costumes. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's not something we really think about um, until we see it on display. And that just there was very comforting and cozy textures being displayed because we wanted to feel we wanted to feel comforted enough that we could be vulnerable. Yes. Um, and I think that that was something that was very subtle, that was very beautiful. It felt, uh, I, I don't think I've ever said this, but it felt relatable. The costumes just felt relatable. Um, we all had something that they were wearing in our own closet. Mm-hmm. Well, and not even just beyond that, but like even if you didn't own some, like Guy wore a vest at one point. Mm-hmm. Like even if you don't wear a vest, the fact of how he wore it and the textures of the fabric of it and the way that they were all compiled together just felt soft and inviting and vulnerable mm-hmm. which when you're getting that when you're getting the visual of vulnerability with the uh, acting of vulnerability it makes you very comfortable mm-hmm. and it lets you take your guard down yeah. and it's a intimate style of um, sub- subliminal directing um, to just help relax your audience so that they can really jump into your story I like that um, well, let's let's shift a little. Let's let's shift to the lights. Can it light shift? Anyway, I thought the lighting was absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you already had this beautiful music that would help set the mood, and you complement that with the lighting, which it was so soft, and it was just like I don't know, I like water almost. 
felt like just, a watercolor. Yeah, it just created the mood exactly that we were needing. It it wasn't. It was just enough. It wasn't too much or too little. It just. It was noticeable. I I don't there know. Were, there were colors and washes of colors to help um, entice the mood. Like when there were blues when we were sad, and there were reds and purples when we were passionate, um, and then there were just stagnant whites when we were sad and disappointed um you know it just it was very it was once again it was very subtle it was that watercolor feel it was you know blending feelings and colors together to help us kind of it once again it's like helping that vulnerability well see like to me what i what i found fascinating is i didn't like, I knew the lighting existed, but I, it didn't catch my eye, if that makes sense. Because it was there, it, it was so much a part of the scene that it, 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 it wasn't noticeable. It existed as much in the space as the set and the cast did. Okay. It, it literally, like, as big as the, the cast, as the actor was, as the character was, or as the set was, that's how much the light was. Okay. It didn't, it, it just, it helped to add almost like the aura around them so when they were all in the recording studio and their energies were just like oh yeah we're making an album the lights were brighter but when we had this intimate moment between guy and girl up on the hill you know this beautiful blue backwash from the hill they were very dimly lit so because you could feel their energies is kind of low and they're like we're trying to connect you know what i mean like it, it almost like the <coughs> excuse me the lighting was trying to emphasize the energy around them Oh yeah, well, what I think of with the, the the moment on the hill where the two of them are trying to connect, it's like um, two people trying to find each other by dim candlelight. Yes. It's like, I can see it there, I just don't know how to, I, it's hard for me to get there safely because I can't see in front of me. Yes. Um, and I don't want to say this like. is a great, like, example of isolation, isolated <laughs> light, like what we've talked about previously in Broadway bulletins with, like, company. Because I don't feel like the lighting is hyper-focused. It very much no, spreads. it was very um, blended and soft and um, diffused. And it, yeah, but, but it didn't flood the stage. Yeah. It was like set in a certain area around girl and her piano and that, but it wasn't so focused that it was like just this spotted area. It could bleed out a little bit, but it didn't feel wrong it just it kind of like emerged as she emerged Mm -hmm. and uh it was just beautiful it was beautiful Mm -hmm. well and that's what you want to see from a tony award winning like best musical is all the elements blending together and that's a tony award winning lightning sign too well yeah but (laughs) but there's a reason why the show got so many um awards and ultimately got best Musical. musical, and that's because of how well all the elements work together. And who's responsible for bringing those together? The direction. Oh, let's talk about the direction and the director. You had mentioned about the cast never leaving, mm-hmm. and I, I think that's a good well, point. Well, most of the time. There are a couple of moments where the cast leaves. Yes, but for the bulk of it. And one thing I wanted to mention is, um, you know, they stay there. They're, the cast is the band, which mm-hmm. is great. Um, they also provide the backup vocals. Like everyone who's in the cast, that is the cast, the orchestra, the like. That's it. They they show the hand right off the bat. Like this is everyone. But I also feel like they're bearing witness to everything. 
Mm-hmm. And at the at the core of all of this is this love story between guy and girl. And everyone in their life can see what's happening except for guy and girl. And even though they're older and everything, it's still like that teenage love story. You know, and if you're of a certain age and you see two young teenagers in love, you just want to be like, guys, just tell each other how you feel. See, and I got a completely different feeling. I saw this as more of a realistic mature love because sometimes doesn't matter how much you love someone or how well you should go together outside forces or perceived responsibilities are keeping you apart and what I loved is while everyone was there to bear witness none of them um, interjected themselves into it which I thought was just a beautifully um natural way of seeing love because sometimes love is just supporting someone through their journey without interruption. Yes, and I I think you misunderstood what I was saying. From the word go until we find out she's got a daughter and all that, these two are like, they're in love clearly, but one won't tell the other. And I feel like everyone around them knows this, but they're like, you just need to tell them how you feel. When they finally do... I think that's when they're honest with each other, particularly girl where she's like, I can't be with you because of X, Y, Z. And I completely agree with you when the outside forces don't go, just, you know, because we want, we, we want them to be together. We want girl to just be like, you know what? Yeah, I love you. And, da, 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 and I've never been happier. But it's a journey but, they have to take between the two of them. And so I love that no one interrupts it. They just let it happen, but they bear witness that it's happening, which I think is just this beautiful commentary that we can observe and see beauty everywhere, even if it doesn't turn out exactly how we want. Yes, yes. Because, I mean, that's the thing, is the the ending did not give you what you wanted, but it felt right. Yeah. Well, I wanted them to be together. I remember seeing this and being like, I can't believe they didn't have it. But it's... That beautiful disappointment. Like, it, it, I hate realistic endings when you suspend your disbelief for the longest time. And I was like, but this feels right. And it is the beautiful ending. And if any, if there was a realistic ending that could be happy, this is it. This is, this is what we could expect in the idea of them getting as much as, uh, getting everything they wanted. This is as much as they could get on, on that idea. Mm-hmm. So, um, I love the idea that though different languages existed on stage, the music transcended like everything above, like above all else, and that's what bound them all together. Yes, that the music was the universal language. Yeah, because you had like three different variations of the Irish language. I mean, sometimes the different people would talk. I was like, I have no idea what you're saying, but but God be with you. And then you had the Czech language being spoken, and then sometimes you had a little bit of Spanish, mm-hmm. you know. And and and, but at the end of the day, they all spoke music, and they all connected through music. And what a powerful thing to say! Like music is the is is just a language we as humans just speak all together. We can understand the beauty of music. And I was like, yes, yes, mm-hmm. mm, just. Mm. So, I know we've kind of mentioned this, but I, because when I brought the band's visit, but I loved the power of stillness as well as the 
quietness of the overall piece. Mm-hmm. Well, and oftentimes I feel like when we see, well, even in our lives, when things are quiet, we're worried about the awkwardness. But sometimes it's the moments where we live in the pause or we live in the quiet that some of the most beautifully honest, vulnerable things can happen. Yes. Um, and that is definitely something that I felt in the show. And seeing it helped me remember that we don't have to have all this constant noise and that living in the pause, a.k.a. living in the moment, can be just as beautiful and rewarding. Yeah, I, I love that... It wasn't that big show-stopping flashbang in-your-face show. I mean, there was a couple of numbers where they... It was a little bit louder and, you know, like rowdy pub kind of moment. But it made you... Those intimate dialogue moments or the intimate song moments. It just forced you to lean in just a little bit. Really, you know, extend your ear. Engage all that much more and... Well, and everything about the show was about getting the audience... To just set aside life and exist for a moment. And breathe. And breathe. And just be here in the moment with these people and what's being in front of you. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, beyond whatever the story you can get out of this, the overall arching theme was to to live to live in the offbeats, to live in in the moments where we can get them. Yes. And just reminding you that, you know, you can find beauty in things, even if there's tragedy, even if there's um, this stillness to your life, even if you're stuck where you are, finding beauty wherever you're at is an important part to being human. And I think that that's why this show is so successful, because it just was vulnerable, raw, open, and so beautifully done that it the audience didn't wanted to go on the journey because they didn't feel forced into taking a, a pause. Yeah. Well, I also think that it was important in the stillness and the quietness that it forced you to read that subtext. There was very limited book. There mm-hmm. was, and a lot of the songs you also had to read in that subtext. Right. Because you know? well, it wasn't guy addressing girl directly in the song. It was a song about something else, but it was being sung to girls. So you really had to sift through that subtext and understand what was being said this that and the other and that really enhanced the story and brought out some of those underlying dynamic relationships yes and because because these were like general songs they weren't like traditional kind of musical theater songs um it let us you know find moments of relatability let us kind of choose our own interpretations of the story Mm -hmm. um which i also just feel this whole thing was very flowing like life and it was very human because you had these moments of comedy that you got from like the banker or even from girl yeah um, that you had these moments of haha this is funny you had these bursts of anger and you it had broke these, up things yes yeah. and you had these moments of sadness but it just kind of reminds you that life is a river and you have to write it as it comes exactly like you can't just anticipate that you... it's always going to be you know smooth sailing you just got to go with whatever the river takes you absolutely well, I think the last thing we should mention then is, is the music. Yeah. I found it haunting and beautiful and just it lives with you. I mean, we even included several songs from the show in our wedding playlist. Mm-hmm. You know, um, 
Gold. Gold. And um, uh, Falling Slowly. Mm-hmm. Well, and, uh, like, let's just to stop and talk about Falling Slowly. Um, what I, I... That is one of my favorite songs because it just personifies what falling in love can feel like because it's light and airy and delicate yet you have those precise moments that just like when they hit they make your heart just swell and you know just grow and you feel all this warmth and light and then it comes back down and you go back to reality and you you know it just it the music did such a beautiful job of taking you on this journey with it and they weren't all just like sappy love songs or whatever because i mean Abandoned and Batten, which mm-hmm. is what the banker sings. I mean, oh or, my God. Or I love Broken Hearted Hoover Sucker Guy. Broken Hearted Hoover Sucker Guy. Yep, you got you can't go wrong with that. You know, I mean, there there are some really great ones here. Um, so, but it's beautiful. It's soulful too. Mm-hmm. I, like I, when I, the family is singing in Czech together. Hey, Pasha, Pasha. Yes. Um, I just I feel like the, the 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 composer and lyricist this really came from not just a place of let's write a show but it really came from a personal place somewhere. I like it feels like it came from really within. Yes, it was This is de- a pa- a passion project, a, a a labor of love. They mm-hmm. poured their heart into it and you really felt that. Um so it felt real and ethereal, you know. Um it just it, it just made your heart swell. The show had several notable performers, including Steve Kazee, Kristen Milotti, Laura Dreyfus, and Katrina Link. I'll leave it all on this time familiar faces turning high I'll leave it all behind this time familiar faces turning I don't say hello I harbor everything that's terrible so let's now talk about the impact this show has had on the theater and its history well theatrical impact it had none no I'm kidding um <laughs> I, like I said I think that one of the best things that this brought to theater is that it gave us a beautifully intimate show that showed us that musicals can be more than just bam a wah wah you know what i mean yeah i would say yes i mean there have been other intimate shows prior yes which i cannot think of at this moment that shows you how good of a a theater fan and knowledge i am but i i i want to build on that because i think one of the the in my opinion, the biggest thing that it did was um, the music that it added to the musical theater songbook. Almost the entire album, almost the entire... Uh, uh, I can't think of what it's called. Just All the music could be added into the musical theater songbook. I mean, The Moon, Falling Slowly, Gold, A Pasha Pasha, Bannon and Batten, Broken Hearted Hoover... Sucker Guy, Leave, all of these songs on the hill, you know, If You Want Me, I Could Keep Going, you know, all of these songs could be added into the musical theater songbook. 
And even though they're very simple, they are just beautiful and heartfelt and they connect to an audience and they're timeless in my opinion. They do not have a place in time. In a hundred years from now, when we are in our wheelchairs, being pulled around the street in one of those great memes, you know, like in a little horse, you know, you've mm-hmm, seen it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we could put this music on and it wouldn't sound like it, it didn't have anything to do with 100 years from now, but it would still be relevant. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So that is a testament to that. And I think that's a huge theatrical impact to add music like that. It's, it's almost on the same level as music created by the great George Gershwin or Irving Berlin or Leonard Bernstein to create timeless music. Well, and besides just adding to the song songbook, it's what people can do with the songbook. Um, because especially when you're auditioning for shows, finding that right audition song is something that's very important for actors um, and for directors and casting directors to be able to see the personification of people. And so this gave us more of that intimate monologue option available um, to people. Yeah. Um, which I think is just a beautiful option to have. Well, and there's a hidden secret that I have that I'm not going to share because it's a secret weapon in my audition book, but I, it, it's a tie to this show. But there is very beautiful music that can work in your advantage. Um, it is a beautiful piece of, dare I say, Irish theater. And I I know that this is debatable, and I, and I would like to speak to more scholarly people or people much smarter than I am, about that because it is an Irish story. I don't know if it was written by Irish people. I don't like the original story because it's Mm -hmm. based on the film. Um, I don't know if the writers of the musical were Irish. I'd have to do some more digging around. But, you know, does this qualify as Irish theater? Mm -hmm. Because if so, what a great piece of Irish theater. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that it would be very, um, you know, just good in general. T- this, even if it isn't, even if we decide that this isn't a work of Irish theater, defining what it means to have this Irish theater and to use this as a launching point to start learning what is involved with Irish theater could be a great thing yeah. for other people out there because, you know, sometimes it just takes someone opening a doorway, even if the doorway is just to the hall to get there. Uh, yeah. And the last thing I'll say is, uh, and this is just for me, but you know, theatrical impact is it's a great artistic piece of theater, which sounds like an oxymoron. Like, yeah, of course it's theater. Of course it's artistic. But we, we've had this conversation back and forth. The bulk of Broadway, I feel like, is very much commercial. Like there's a lot of great artistic work done on Broadway, but sometimes it's done in the name of commercialism. We've got big titles that reflect that are recognizable to draw on a crowd or big names to draw on a crowd. and, and Or that we're looking for entertainment solely. For to, entertainment. Exactly. And there are not, there are few and far between shows that are done purely for artistic purposes or to make an artistic statement or a full on art, like an artistic show, like a high art kind of thing. And I feel like this is one of them. This is not... A musical like one you've seen, or one that we've seen since, you know what I mean? Like, I think it's successful. Wait, you're saying it's a show that maybe comes along once? Stop it. In a lifetime? Stop it. (laughs) No. Uh Uh-uh. I'll leave right now. No, but, you know, it's it's a show that I think the, the success was the relatable 
and beautiful story mixed with the beautiful music and then just the ethereal effervescence of all the, the design elements coming together. That's artistic. That's not commercial. And I don't and, and they were such a success and it just happened that they were commercially successful. But they did I don't think that they presented itself as a commercial success. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important. Yeah. Art can exist on Broadway without going the commercial route. We need both to exist. I mean, unfortunately, it's still a business, but it was it's so great when art for art's sake succeeds because we're in art still and we need to keep creating and pushing the boundaries and mm-hmm. seeing what's possible and challenging what's next. You know, that's the only way that our art form continues to excel and grow and whatnot and we discover the next great thing. So anyway. Well and I feel like (laughs) I feel like that ties us into um societal impact. Yes. Because ultimately the way that theater impacts society is something that is going to help keep theater alive. Um and I feel like with this show, um the real impact was I, I know I keep saying it, but was reminding people to live in the in the moment, live in the stillness. Yes. Um, and I think that it was, I mean, it was great that it was a very popular musical that started as a small independent film. Well, see, and this is where I feel like I'm, as I was saying what I was saying, I might get pushback from listeners who know their, their stuff. This was a... Oscar, uh, well, it was a popular independent film. It had an Oscar-winning song. And then they brought it to the Broadway stage. So I think some people out there might be like, well, how can that not be commercial success? Well, because it was an independent film, and yes, it was an Oscar-winning song, but how many people coming to the Broadway theater knew that? Like, I didn't know it was a film or of the song. Well, and either, regardless of whether or not you knew about it, an independent film in and of itself, most of the time... It's it, it's called an independent film because it wasn't put on by a particular like production a house, and so that meant there were people who were closely involved with the project who had to raise the funds to make it right. happen. So it really is a passion project. And I'm and I'm when I say an artistic show, I'm mainly referring to the style it presented itself. This didn't come off as a blockbuster show. No, this came as something that like, small budget almost. Yeah, well, and either regardless of that, it is. It's something that is close. You can tell was very close to the people who produced its heart. Yes. Everyone involved. It was very. It felt like it came from the soul. Yes. So let's ask the question. Would you like wheat or white bread? No, I'm kidding. Um, is the show still relevant? <laughs> the message. Okay, this is my opinion. The message is about love and connection and the power of music. Three things that are always important, no matter what, okay? And, but at times of crisis, to be even more so. Those, in times of crisis, those three things are just so more important. Mm -hmm. That being said, with its beautiful music and haunting melodies, I feel like it could definitely find its place among a theater scene full of great musical numbers. The quietness and simplicity I think is also what sets it apart and can really shake things up here on Broadway. So I say yes, 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 yes. This is also, I want to say, a great show for regional theater. So I think that at its core, this show is relevant. It's something that can be done 
always. Like, it doesn't have to be... It's timeless. It's timeless, yeah. It doesn't... It, it could work on Broadway. It could work on off-Broadway. It could yeah. work in amateur, community... Yes. Regional, colleges. Like, this is... The only thing I think that um, restrict it is you have to have the musicians to play. Does that make sense? I think that's one interpretation, and I'm not going to tell people how they can and cannot produce the show. Um, I like that the, the in the Broadway version, the, the um, cast were the musicians, because I think that that drove home the idea of music as the story. But in a world where we're seeing a lot of interesting re-approaches to different stories, I don't want to put someone in a box who maybe has a different idea about the story and a different way to tell the story. Well, I just, I'm concerned because I think that the script requires... And if it's in the script, then you can always make a request to those who hold the rights. Okay, okay. Or that, um, you know, if you do get the rights to do this, maybe putting it in your agreement to say, hey, we want to try it this way. Will you allow us to do it this way? You know, there's... That's the nice thing about art, and especially when you're using someone else's, um, someone else's, uh, um, copyrighted material. The fact that you can still approach someone about the idea, and with theater being a collaborative art form, there's room for that kind of movement and changes to a material, um, which I just think is something beautiful about, you know, theater. I I no I I. I like it. I dig it. Yeah. So I think that relevancy um, is in the eye of the beholder. And since we've already said this is a timeless story, regardless of where it's playing, this show will always be relevant. And it's because it is about raw human emotion. As promised, we wanted to share some of our own personal stories about experiencing this show. We had the good fortune of seeing this show five times. Back on Broadway, we saw it in 2012, 13, and 14. In Salt Lake City, we saw it in 2014 at Kingsbury Hall. And again, we saw it at Salt Lake City um, at a regional house, Pioneer Theater, in 2019. So I guess we should start with our stories, Gather and Children. So we had the good fortune of seeing the show shortly after it won the Tony Award. Mm -hmm. We got to see um, the original cast and meet them. Um, I mean, it was beautiful. It was. It was everything I expected. And then some. So I I just want to mention, I'm going to start, in my mind, how I organized it. We got to meet a lot of different cast members over the year. They were all fabulous. I remember meeting Katrina Link. She was wonderful. I feel like lately we've been riding the Katrina Link train, whether it be seeing her on Broadway recently or like as we're telling these stories, I'm like, oh yeah, we met Katrina Link. And we've got to start posting our photos from these. I gotta mm-hmm. do a better job of that. But um, so I remember all of that. Actors are great. Seriously, they were wonderful. We always saw the show in a matinee on Broadway, fun fact. 
Huh, I don't remember that. Yeah. Um, I remember going to get a drink on the stage uh, for us, and they had wine or beer. That was it. No mixed cocktails, and uh, which was cool. Now, here's where I'm going to put my hat of shame on. The first time we saw it, I did not like the show. And I couldn't understand why you couldn't I like it. I did not like the show. I left. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I just, I didn't like it. I, it, did, it rubbed me the wrong way. But we went back. We went back. I said, I got to try this again. Because you were like, this is beautiful. Amazing. Oh, my God. Rah. Like, you couldn't stop raving about it. So I was like, I must have missed something. Maybe I was just tired. Maybe I just had a bad piece of beef or a, a bad bit of mustard, you know. Um, whatever it might be. And after seeing it the second time, I, I like, I was teary-eyed and I was like, oh my God, like, I get it. Oh my God, it's so beautiful. You know, and then I was like, okay, I get, I'm, I'm there now. I, I don't know what I missed, but it was, it was, I, I loved it from that moment on. And I was like, everybody, you need to go see this because it. It's, it's truly is a wonder. Yeah. So the last thing, the last kind of memory that I'm going to tie into here, it doesn't have anything to do with Broadway. But it has everything to do with that last production that, I mean, you got to see it, if I remember right. But yeah, I, I got to see it, but I, I didn't get to, I wasn't running it because I was running other shows. Yeah, so you got to see it from the audience point of view. And I never got to see it from the audience's point of view because I was running the show. <laughs> uh, I ran the show as a dresser at Pioneer Theater in Salt Lake City. Um, and it was one of my favorite shows to run. That was so beautiful. Um, the cast and the crew were just so close we were such like a family um and had such a good time and um really just everything was beautiful i'll never forget well to mention broadway as well again the gold that was acapella that's one of my favorite moments in the show Mm -hmm. because it comes out of nowhere there is no like here's your pitch it just happens and it's just beautiful. The, the sound is gorgeous. But I remember in our production, just the lighting that went with it. It was I always had to stop what I was doing just to watch it from the wings. And I was like, this is just beautiful. Um, when you mentioned that nobody leaves the stage, nobody left the stage really, except for a couple times, including like I had to help with a quick change for girl. We had 30 seconds to go from one side of the stage all the way around to the other and we had to do this quick change with a shirt and a jacket and everything and get her water because they never they left guy and girl left the stage once in each act mm-hmm. and that was all we had time to get them water mm-hmm. you know so she's changing me and her dresser shout out cammy my my uh my carol my jeff i mean excuse me my jeff i'm her carol um and we're changing her and watering her she was fabulous um and yeah, that was a lot of fun. The other memory that I absolutely love, I'm going to give a shout out to an actor named Chris Blissett, who is incredible. First of all, the man is great with child actors, and he is an absolute hoot to work with. Super talented, super smart and knowledgeable about his craft. He played our Billy, and he was one of the funniest guys I have ever worked with. He just He was a jokester and everything. So on our closing night show... Um, his dresser put tearaway pants on because every night during the recording session, right, mm-hmm. in the act two, he would look over in the wings where we were at waiting to do a quick change before they went to the hill. We just gave him coats. 
Mm-hmm. But he'd like make a face or do something to us, right? So mm-hmm. we knew he was gonna look at us. So he looked over at us. She just rips off these tearaway pants, and he's just like shocked and just turns back around, you know. And we're like, "Yeah, we gotta," <laughs> you know. Oh my gosh, it was just so much fun on that show. Um, and I can't express again the the music was beautiful. I'll remember to the day I die the final show when they're singing Falling Slowly, the reprise. We had a rotating stage and all the actors are on it singing and they're all teary-eyed. It was that, like, we didn't want to close. And everyone backstage was all teary-eyed because we're just like, oh, yeah, it's a beautiful moment. So, I, I mean, did you enjoy this show from the audience? Oh, yeah. I loved it. I got just as all, I got all the same feels as I did from the Broadway production. Yeah. it. I was so proud to work on this show and... <sighs> I would do it again in a heartbeat. If they announce tomorrow once it's coming back to Broadway, I'd immediately go sign up for the wardrobe union and be like, I've done this before. Sign me up. <laughs> we are loving the way things are continuing to go here, everywhere. And, and we just hope you can join us in a seat at a theater soon. I'm sure you'll be able to catch once at a theater near you sometime soon. Just a reminder, we want to uh, inform you guys about becoming a patron of the show by signing up for your backstage pass. Simply visit patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod for all details about this. We greatly appreciate your generosity. Really, seriously, we, we can't do this show without you. So thank you. And until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez. And I'm Hope Bird. Reminding you to turn off your cell phones. Unwrap your candies and keep your mask on just a little longer. And keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at StageWhisperPod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Fox by Music for Wildlife. Other music on this episode provided by The Midnight Suns, Kelly Lattimore, Cud Eastbound, and Billy Murray. <laughs>